can open up to the book of Romans in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We've uh, finished through our summer series on pleasing God and, and talking about our pitfalls and the problems that we face and how we can please the Lord and being obedient to the Lord is important and so we've talked a lot about that and it comes out of this chapter and it's exciting to be back in there again. Uh, I look forward to, to sharing the joys of this scripture because I believe that it really helps us, it really helps us to understand the culture. It also helps us to understand the pitfalls that sometimes our culture wants us to be pressed into the mindset of the culture and wants us to forget God. It's very easy to do. It's very easy to take good ideas and build a lot of momentum on something that seems good or that has an element of good. But God has a way of reminding us about his goodness and his perfection, his holiness. And we want to, to follow that. We want to realize that the world really wants us to be pressed into its mold, and it really wants to contend with God, and God wants to warn us of that and to show us the consequences, or as in this morning, the results of man's rebellion. And God wants to remind us about how the results of our rebellion really mess with our relationship with the Lord and really mess with our walk with God. And I trust that the Holy Spirit will help you and encourage you and give you some of the answers to answer our society on what is going on today. Uh, I actually looked at this two years ago and where the world was headed and said, you know, we really need this message. And so for two years, I've been mulling this over. So the next four to, uh, about the next three to four months is going to be looking at the things going on in our world from God's point of view. And so I've been looking forward to sharing this with you. And so let's pray and ask God's blessing as we read God's word together and as we look at verse 24 and 25 uh, this morning of Romans 1. Lord, we recognize that you alone are good. And as we learned this morning and as we talked and discussed this morning in Sunday school, that you never change. So, Lord, your goodness isn't, doesn't get built upon one good thing and another good thing, always having to do good things. It's, Lord, simply you are good for all eternity. Your goodness doesn't change. It's fully good. Lord, you are fully God. You are holy. You are right. You are just. Lord, there is none like you. We need you. And Lord, we can trust you. So Lord, as we look at these Verses that the world hates, the world deplores. They want to be right, but they don't want 
your right. They don't want your goodness. And so, Lord, they struggle and they hurt themselves and they hurt many around them. So, Lord, help us to be your light in a dark world and to understand what is really going on in our dark world. So, Lord, help us. Teach us through your word. Help me to explain it clearly that we might understand you better. Thank you, Lord, for your love in which you have loved us when you died on the cross for our sins, rose again, conquering death by the precious blood of the Lamb. Thank you for that great sacrifice that you became good for us. You gave us your goodness. And Lord, we can enjoy that right relationship with you because of that work that you did. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 1, we are dealing with God's wrath that's being poured out on all mankind. And you say, well, why? Why is God so upset? What's the big idea? What's the problem? Well, if you want to know, it goes back to the indictment that God gives to mankind. Where man is really at. How depraved or how really bad we really are. And that's really the issue. Don't you real? And that's the reality is, is we realize how good God gift really is when we realize how bad we truly are and how bad we really can become. And it says in verse 20 uh, in Romans 1, leading up to the text this morning, it says this, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they, that is all mankind, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking. They became vain, worthless in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And here's the result. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creator rather or the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen here in verse 24 we we see the results of the rebellion the fact the willful disobedience of turning their back on God. Even though they knew God, they did not want to glorify God. They instead wanted to glorify themselves. And that's really the natural state of mankind. Wanting to glorify themselves. Wanting to, to be in control of themselves. To feel, uh, to do whatever feels right in their own eyes. And so we see the result that is before us. When God, when man rebels and turns their back on God, when they rebel and what happens? Well, here's the result. And the result is 
fairly simple, and that is this. When people continually reject God, that is God, he actively hands people over to, desire, to desires that are out of control. That's verse 24. He basically, he actively, it's not like because mankind, because people rebel against God that he just says, okay, I'm done. And he just, he turns, it's not like what man does that they just, sometimes people say, oh, it's okay, I'm just going to ignore God and passively reject God. No, they actively, they, they take an active step to turn away from God and God actively turns them over or hands them over to their own evil desires that are out of control. This idea of, of turning them over or God gave them up, it, it's a pretty amazing statement. It's actually a, a judicial term. It's somebody actively, judiciously handing them over like one prisoner to another. You know, like when you have somebody in, a, you know, in jail and they've got to go to a prison, so they take and they, after their sentencing and they're now going to go to prison for how many said years, the judge says, here's how many years that they go to prison. So then they take them out of court and they take them and they hand them over to a prison. It says actively handing over a sentence. God is sentencing them to the evils, to the, the complete evil of man's heart. So the idea here is it's not just that handing them over to the consequences of whatever they choose to sin. Say they choose to lie and they have to pay the consequence if they get caught. No, this is the... God is saying, I am going to step completely out of their life and I'm going to hand them over to the sentencing of their complete, unadulterated evils in their heart. Whatever, whatever it will go to, wherever it will go, to the complete, utterly destruction of their heart. When man forsakes the one true God, the idea here, he abandons them to the utter destruction. A.T. Robinson, uh, past theologian, preacher, he does a lot of Greek work. He said this, he says, these people had already willfully deserted God. They'd already rebelled against God. And God has merely left them to their own self-determination and their self-destruction, part of the price of their moral freedom. Psalms 81 emulates this verse, and then it helps us to understand what God is saying when he says to Israel, when the psalmist writes this, he says in verse 10 of Psalm 81, he says, I, the Lord, am your God. Do you recognize just because somebody turns their back on God doesn't mean he ceased to be God. Israel did this, right? How many times did Israel turn their back on God? And he says, I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will meet all of your needs. Sustenance. Verse 11. 
But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, he says, that Israel would walk in my ways. Repeatedly, as Israel rebelled against God and disobeyed God, he would repeatedly just hand them over to the evil in their heart. Paul says it this way in Romans 24 in our text. God gave them up in the lust or to, literally not to be in the lust of their heart. He gave them to the lust of their heart to be in the lust of their heart. The lust of the heart is describing the depraved cravings, the inner vile, unrestrained desires emanating from the fallen sin nature of man. He gave them to this utter vile contempt of sinfulness, the depraved cravings, to crave this. That's the result of being rebellious to God. By the way, heart doesn't mean the organ that you know, pumps the muscle, you know, the blood around the muscle that pumps all the, the life-giving blood that we need to stay alive. It's not just talking about inner emotions, although it does represent that, the inner feelings, but it also includes the thinking process and particularly the will of man. And so as we look at this, he's talking about really the control center. You know, you know the control center, you know, like we, when we fly in an airplane? Some of you have flown in an airplane, and some of you have flown airplanes. And you know how important it is to have a control center, right? A control center is nice. Uh, they have radar, and, and they say, hey, you know, this is your elevation, and at this elevation, there are these air airplanes that are flying in your elevation. You need to change your elevation, right? That's a good thing to have a control center to direct traffic. You know, and when you're in, in the, you know, I was thinking, well, being in the sky, it wouldn't be too hard. It's a wide open space. I can, I can see forever, and it's, it would be pretty easy. I have flown enough times, and I've been close enough to the cockpit to realize that when I'm up in the air, you don't always see everything. Having a control center to tell you what's going, what's coming, to be in control, to direct traffic is a beautiful and necessary thing. Can you imagine if a pilot said, I don't need a control center and I'm just going to do whatever I want? Can you imagine if every pilot did that in America? You know, how, there's an airplane landing almost every six minutes in places like Chicago and in, in L.A. and in Washington, D.C. And, you know, there's places that it's just the planes are coming and going, right? Nonstop. Can you imagine if everybody said, I don't need a control center and I'm going to do whatever I want to do? It'd be pretty chaotic in the skies. It wouldn't just be pretty chaotic in the skies because after the collisions occurred, it'd be pretty chaotic as they fell. 
That's the world we live in. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. That's what God is turning everybody over to when they rebel against God and therefore God has turned them over to the lusts of their heart to be out of control. <clears throat> Sinful heart. That's why Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17.9 God gave Jeremiah this word to share with Israel and he says the heart is more deceitful than all else and it is desperately wicked. It is desperately sick. The heart is a problem when it is out of control. An out of control heart is going to hurt and hurt everyone around. That is what it's saying. When God says, I am handing it over, I'm handing you over to the uttermost, desperately out of control, wicked heart. I'm not just going to let you do whatever you want. I'm turning you over to the, to the end destruction of your heart. Do you notice, do you notice what, how he modifies this? Look at the end of the verse here. He says, not only the lust of the heart, and what does that really entail? Well, to impurity. To the impurity. They have hearts that are decaying, is what he's talking about. The lust of your heart, he's saying, I'm going to hand you over to the uttermost decaying of your heart. The word for impurity is pretty amazing. In fact, it was used by Hippocrates. You know the Hippocratic Oath, where we get the word, uh, the idea of the doctors, they, they have the Hippocratic Oath. It was named after the, the Greek physician, Hippocrates, or Hippocrates II. He was a father of medicine, right? And he used this word impurity often. He used it to describe an infection, but not just any infection. It was the infection that was oozing. It was oozing with pus. It was crusty with impurities. And it would, it would get sore and the wound would fester and often cause ultimately death. That's how we use this word. That's how the modern Jewish people would use it. That's how the Greeks used it. That's how the Romans used it too. To talk about that the ultimate idea was that it would, this impurity caused decay which led to death. That's what God is handing mankind over that rebels. So what is the impurity? It is filthy, repulsive filth. And it's especially repulsive to God. God knows how desperately wicked and filthy our heart really is when it's left to itself. So when he says, I'm going to hand you over to the lust of your heart, he's not just saying, hey, I'm just going to let you do whatever you want. Whatever you desire, you can just go do, and it's okay. He's saying, no, I'm going to hand you over, and I'm going to unshackle the depths and the depravity of your sinful heart. In short... I'm going to let you live in an immoral filthiness on the inside that causes you to live in lawless acts of immorality on the outside. You're going to decay from the inside out is what God is saying. Paul uses this to describe when he talks about 
not living the way the Gentiles do. In Ephesians 4, 17 and 19, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice all kinds of impurity. That's what he's describing in the lust of the heart. He also not only says that, that those that rebel God or they're going to be left their hearts are going to be decaying, but he talks about this, that they, they will have hearts that desire to do shameful things with their bodies. We say, why is the world in which we live in so bad? It's because the more that the world turns their back on God, the more that they're just going to desire shameful things. You look at verse 24 in the text. He says, not only that he gives them up to the lust of their hearts, which means to impurity, but then he says this, he says, the truth, he says that, I'm sorry, I just lost my place. To impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. To the dishonoring of their bodies. That he's going to give them up to the uttermost disgusting things of their heart that they desire to do shameful things with their bodies. To dishonor is to bring reproach, to bring shame. Have you noticed that people that have rebelled against God, that they're left to their own devices when they, when they shed off all moral things, they kind of end up, they don't care if it's shameful or not, right? They don't care if it's disgusting or not. All they care about is whether it makes them feel good or not, even if it ends in destroying their life. To dishonor not only is to bring reproach and shame, but it, to stain the character of that person, to lessen the reputation of, to treat their bodies with dis disrespect. That's not God's desire. God's desire, when God's, God created us, God breathed his life into us, we were created in the image of God. In Genesis, we see that. The theology of who we are and created to be, we carry his image. We weren't created to be these, these impure individuals, but because of sin and rebellion against God, that's what leads to all of this dishonor. We are created actually that our bodies, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, it says, you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your bodies. We are meant to bring glory and honor with our bodies to the Lord Jesus Christ. We weren't meant to dishonor our bodies or to shame our bodies. They are not our own. But when we rebel against God, we treat our bodies like they're our own. That's why we struggle. Looking at, look at the reason. We move from the result of our re rebellion, but to the reason God hands rebellious people over to unbridled sin. Look at verse 25. He gives us the reason here. Because, that's the reason, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. The reason is this. They gave up on God and believed the idol they desire. 
right? They create an idol, right? They, we create idols every day. We decide that we love something so much that we turn our back on God and we serve that idol, whether it be work. I mean, it could be anything. We can idolize work. We can idolize money. We can idolize possessions. We can idolize family. We can idolize vehicles. We can idolize Seahawks. We can idolize, I'm picking on myself. We, we can idolize all sorts of things, right? I got to be careful when I say Seahawks because there's so many other, you know, fellow fans out there. But we can idolize, well, I know there's a few, you know, one star people out there, you know, talking about the Cowboys. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we won't mention the Cowboys. But anyway, so here we go. So, hey, you know, we all create idols. And God says, you believe the idols are going to produce everything in your life and you've turned your back on God and you believe the lie that they are worth more than God. The reason God hands them over to unbridled sin and impurity and just that festering gross decay in their life because they gave up on God. They don't believe the truth of who God is. Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.18, yes, there's a book called Habakkuk. I'm not stammering. <laughs> and, and, you know, God says, here, tell Israel this. Habakkuk 2.18, he says, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? You shaped the idol. You created something. You shaped it. You formed it. A metal image. And, it, and he goes on to say, a teacher of lies, or it's a perpetual thing that lies to you. For, it, for its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. God says we've turned from God and we've idolized things. Down in our heart, our festering heart of decay, we create idols. And for some reason, we trust them that they're going to complete us. They're going to make us better. If I just have somebody who cares for me, if I have the right relationships, and that's true, if we do have the right relationship, we'll have everything. But the right relationship isn't with the idols of our own making. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason God hands rebellious people over to their unbridled sinful heart is because they believe the idol. They trust it to make them feel better. They believe the lie. They end up worshiping and serving them, themselves and their immoral desires. You know, it's pretty amazing as we look at the world, right? As we look at the things going on, we see a rebellious people, we see a rebellious world that is utterly fixated on themselves that say there is no God or I don't, that, that, you know, they pro proudly proclaim and say, well, that's not my God and, and they tell you what their God is. Whatever they want you to say is okay, right? It's not enough for you to just 
say, you know, leave them alone and just say, you know what, I'm not going to condemn you or I'm not going to judge you, but we know God is. We know God's word does. But they, they want you to worship them and their desires. They end up worshiping and serving themselves. So we have all these rallies. We have all these parades of worship of different sexual and moral things, bodily things. Have you noticed all the things that are dealing with the body that people worship? All you have to do is turn on the TV and look at the ads and it'll tell you what they're worshiping. All you have to see is your favorite sitcom show and what they are inputting into it now versus what they did 20 years ago. You know, some of your shows have been going on for almost 20 years. Go back and watch the first one and watch the, and watch the last, the latest one. And you'll see that what they worship in society has changed. What they proclaimed as good in the beginning is now what they say is bad because they have new things to worship. They end up worshiping and serving themselves. That's what it's saying in verse 25. It's because they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. We are the creation. We were created to worship God. We were given his image. Let us create man in, his, in our image, God says. Referring to himself, including the Holy Spirit in Christ. He says, let us make man in our image. He gave us, we're image bearers of God. And he says, I want you to take that image and worship me. And we've turned our back and we begin to worship ourselves. That's what rebellion does. An immoral person cannot possibly worship God. Because he worships himself and his immorality. It's really sad. I hear it all the time. I'm like, Pastor, you see all, man, you see how they worship sinful things now? It's like, what's going on? And and it's just simply God actively giving them over to the judgment of their own hearts. 2 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, Paul was warning his young pastor, Timothy, and he said this, that in the last days, in verse 4, he said, there'll be, it'll be treacherous, it'll be reckless, it'll be swollen with conceit. And then he says this, it'll be lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. People will be lovers of themselves. What is he talking about? Well, we know that we were created to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you've been paying attention to any news, you know that a certain governor, not ours, but another one just as bad as him, put billboards up and he quoted that verse for the reason for abortion. Sickening. To take Jesus' words of the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God. And yet they turned it on its head to worship yourself over God. You notice that it says you're lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God. 
ultimately you see the results here. The effect, I could have said results and had it all ours, but I like the word effect. <laughs> the effect of lust-filled lifestyle, a life given over to lust and rebellion to God. There was a, a, a professor in, the, in Alabama. I do not like the University of Alabama. Go Oklahoma, sorry. <laughs> I, I, I learned to like football when I lived in Oklahoma, so go Sooners. But, um, and then I just transferred my allegiance to another OU, and that is, you know, Oklahoma, or Oregon, but, you know, I'm neither here nor there. But here's the thing. Dr. Jenning Bryant, he did a study. He was a great research guy, and they loved him. He just recently died, and um, but he was at the University of Alabama. He did research on a lifestyle of someone who lives their lifestyle full of lust, who, cra who craves lust, who gives himself to lust. And he did this complete research on it. And it was fun looking at the results and then matching it up to our two verses that we just read. So what I did is I kind of matched uh, the results and our verses together. Here's the, the, if we just give ourselves over to a, a life filled with lust, this is what you get. You lose your ability to make moral judgments. You don't know what's right or wrong. Everything is turned upside down on its head. Think about it. You, you can't make any good decisions. You're indifferent. Because God it. God is good and alone is good. And that decay of your heart will not allow you to make moral judgments. You lose the sense of justice. You lose the sense of righteousness and fairness. Just look at our world. Our world calls for justice. They don't even know what the term means anymore. What they mean is self-fulfillment. Give me, give me, give me. Serve me. Right? Lose all sense of moral judgment. You will lose the ability to, to be trusted and to trust. You, when you, a person that's filled with a lustful heart can't be trusted. They're only going to serve themselves. They're not reliable. You cannot depend on them. They are sporadic, unpredictable, and unstable. Not only that, but you'll lose your ability to function in the right role of your family. A person that is left over to the lustful heart and it fills their life with lust and seeks their, their own and turns their back on God and rebels against God, it will not be able to fulfill their role in family. That's why we have so many families that are in disarray. That's why we see families struggling. That's why nobody understands the role of a husband and wife anymore, a mom and a dad. You can be whatever you want to be, and it's okay. What, where did that come from? People filled with an immoral heart, left to their own devices. Here's the... Here's the the other one, you'll lose your ability to maintain a commitment. You will not, you can't maintain a commitment to anything. 
why we see families just split apart, broken. Unrestrained, lustful heart will destroy families, will destroy relationships, will destroy all commitments. That's why we see people struggling in the workforce. That's why we see people struggling at school. That's why we see lots of struggles, because nobody can be committed. Or commitment, there's no commitment. You will lose your ability to love. Love for a lust-crazed maniac is twisted and distorted. Just look at what they celebrate in, in quote-unquote love today. True biblical love is not possible for one that's been given over to the lustful heart, an immoral heart. It only seeks to serve self. But love is seeking to sacrifice self for someone else. We can't love the way that Christ loved. You lose the ability to love. That's why we see the world the way it is. You lose your ability to be greatly used by God. God cannot use somebody that's decaying from the inside. We can't be, we can, we're not going to love God. We're not going to walk with God. We can do a lot of things good on the outside to make people think that we're being used by God, but we're decaying, and eventually we'll just simply pass out and fall over and die from decay from the inside out. Have you ever seen somebody just walk away from God altogether in church? I remember one young lady that everybody said that she had given her life to Christ and she was saved and I kind of challenged her on it and I had asked her some questions. She couldn't define really what God had done for her. She felt like she was a good person and she did a lot of good things. She tried to do a lot of good things but when it came to the realization that there was only one way to heaven, she said, well, that's not my God and she just walked away. And still to this day, she's living in pain. She struggles. Her, her, and she just, she is not committed to anything except for herself. And it's just amazing. But when you rebel against God, you lose your ability to be used by God. And ultimately, whoop, I went too far. <laughs> There's another one, but you risk being abandoned by God. For the unbeliever, this means God gives you up to hell, total and complete for the rest of eternity, abandonment by God. Think about that. This is the effects of when you rebel against God. Say, when people ask me, why is the world the way it is? Why is... Why are they doing the things they're doing? This is why. This is why we see things that are not natural being proclaimed as natural. Next week, we're going to look at the second result. And you've got to ask yourself, have you lost your control, control center? Is God in charge of the control center? Or are you in control of your control center? Who has control of your heart? 
Because if you rebel against God and you say, I, I'm going to just live for myself and do whatever I f- what feels right to me, God will abandon you to that unrestrained heart. You will become a prisoner of your own heart that's decaying. And you will die from it. Separated for all eternity from God. I'm not saying that for those that have given their life to the Lord and and you know that you're saved, you can never lose your salvation. God will drag you kicking and screaming back eventually. You will have to, you, you will respond. But if you never respond to God and you never care about God and you never worship God, you need to ask, am I saved from my sin? Am I still worshiping myself? Because if there is no fruit, just as, it's funny because Donald didn't know what I was preaching on. (laughs) But if there is no fruit in your life and you're just here to feel good, then you need to question whether or not God has saved you from your sins. Romans 3.23 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. He says, for the wages of sin is death. We deserve it. The wrath of God is, his wrath is on all mankind who have turned their back on him, who reject him. And he says in Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Have you responded to that? Do you hear him calling and saying, hey, I want to save you. Turn your life, give your life to the Lord. Call upon him and be saved from your sin. That's what the world needs. They need to give up their life and surrender to Christ. The Bible says, like we talked about last week, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus said. Repent. Say, God, you're right. I am utterly and I am desperately wicked. My heart is out of control. Save me. When we call upon the Lord, he saves us. And he changes us. Now we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We We have a good control center who says, hey, collision ahead. Collision ahead. Move. Warning, warning, warning. Right? Like, don't you wish you had, you know, a warning light on your boss's head or maybe your mom's head? Warning, warning, collision ahead. (laughs) Stop talking. Get your foot out of your mouth. (laughs) Warning, we have the Holy Spirit, and he is producing fruit in our life. Not our fruit, but his fruit. Let's pray. Lord, Thank you for your word that gives us your instruction that helps us to realize how desperately wicked we are. Lord, it's not simple enough to just say, ah, I'm going to just do whatever I want. When we make that final decision to rebel against you and say, no, you know what, I know what the truth is, but I'm not going to respond to you. This is what we're turning our life over to is utter impurity, filth. 
decay, and death. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here has never had a relationship with the Lord and, and has just been doing a bunch of good things and trying to be religious and, and they're making their own religion and they're making their own way to you, that they'd realize there's only one perfect way. And that, Lord, that they would surrender and call upon their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because... He is God and because He is man, because He came and lived among us, He died for us in our place, taking on the full wrath and the, everything that we deserved. He took it to the cross and purchased us so that we can deal with the sickness of our heart and live in total freedom with our Father who is in heaven and enjoy that beautiful relationship. Lord, I pray that if someone's been ignoring their control center, they've been ignoring their heart, ultimately they've been ignoring you, that they would just acknowledge you, turn back and acknowledge you in all their ways, Acknowledge you and let you continue to direct their paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And that, Lord, they would enjoy that fellowship once again with their Father. Sitting in your lap, enjoying that relationship. We thank you and we praise you for your complete and perfect word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.